0: And 3Ds are really kind of having to solve some of those tough problems. How can I take um, things that I get off the, the shelf uh, and, and modify those to, to work for an operational team in these buried environments?
1: Welcome to the Insight Through Experience podcast. Podcast created to provide information about what life is like inside the most specialized special tactics organization in the U.S. Air Force. In these episodes, we'll be bringing you the experiences from many of our experts, ranging from our human performance optimization staff, our combat mission supporters, as well as our special warfare operators. Our main objective with these podcasts are to provide the listener with a unique look inside our culture of excellence in hopes that you will make the 724 a future career goal. Now, sit back, relax, take some notes, prepare to hear from some of the Air Force's finest. Thank you for joining us on the Insight Through Experience podcast. back to the show everybody. This week's going to be special. We are moving away from our operator line of effort for a little while and we're going to start focusing on some combat mission support AFSCs for the podcast. This week we have our three Deltas, our cyber professionals. Coming at us from our A6 shop is David. David has had an interesting career. He's been up at the command for a long time and uh, hearing from his perspective from the A6 staff, uh, really gives broad perspective to the conversation today around the three deltas and what they do for the 724. We also have Tyler who is out of debt one with me out of the training squadron. Uh, I get to see him on a daily basis and we get to hear from his experience of how he manages the load inside the debt and also with operator training course because he is also the lead support 3D for them as well. So uh, good week, good podcast. Hope you guys enjoy this as much as I did. And uh, let's get to it. Appreciate all of you tuning in to the Insight Through Experience podcast. All right, so before we dive into deeper water this week, I'm going to have our two 3D professionals introduce themselves and uh, quickly just tell us what you do for the 724.
0: Hey, how you doing? Uh, My name's David. Uh, My AFC is 3D072. Uh, I'm currently the group a six superintendent So for me on a daily basis uh, really a lot of meetings, but but ultimately it's it's managing people uh, And managing priorities and tasks for uh, all the functions that group a six handles Uh, My name is Tyler. I'm a 3d 1x3 uh,
2: radio troop currently working uh, as a a six support comm support for OTC uh, and uh, Been doing that for About a year and a half now uh, Describe what OTC is for the audience uh, o- OTC is the operator training course. Um, we get uh, combat control and PJs tactics apply to the unit uh, They get accepted After selection and then they go through a operator training course um, before they're pushed off to the, the operational unit
1: yeah, perfect for any listeners that have listened to any previous podcast. You've probably heard tons about OTC, but Tyler is the guy out there making all the magic behind the scenes happen on the uh, comm side. So before we get any farther, I love getting some more background, though, and I think it helps relate people uh, to you guys a little bit. So, David, starting with you, uh, where did you grow up? What drove you coming to the Air Force, and how would you end up in cyber?
0: Uh, I grew up in, in Stone Mountain, Georgia. Um, that's where I live. Uh My teenage years um, up through some portion of college. Um, So I I did go to college uh, prior to joining the Air Force. Um, That was was my first attempt at uh, what I was going to do with my life. Uh, Well, go to school. Uh, That's what people tell me I'm supposed to do. So I went to school. Um, Graphic design was actually my first major. Um, At some point in time later, I kind of crossed over into computer science stuff. But but ultimately I kind of realized that, uh, I don't know, I just wasn't getting a lot of satisfaction from college. Uh, I like to learn. I think I'm fairly intelligent, but, uh, the traditional structure of school just really didn't, uh, float my boat too much. Um, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do with it either. So it was like, why, why am I doing this? You know, I want to enjoy what I'm doing. Um, at some point as well, um, uh, there were some family considerations, um, I was a late child. Um, my parents were in their mid forties um, when they had me. Um, so the, by the time I'm joining college, uh, you know, my dad's trying not to do anything with his life other than drink sweet tea and uh, sit on the porch. Um, so he started having some health issues uh, that, that caused him to not be able to work. So uh, young David Smith realized that uh, I got to stop being a burden. Um, I'm wasting time with college. Um, I got to get out of my own so I can let my dad uh, relax. Um, so I, I, uh, I had a family friend that was a colonel uh, in the U.S. Air Force. Um, he kind of said uh, maybe you should try that because um, I did talk with the Navy first. I went by the Army, and he said, ah, "You're a smart guy. Why don't you go to the Air Force?" Uh, um, so that's what that's what got me uh, in the door. The Army was. Gung-ho to have me. Uh, They were like, oh, wow, these ASVAB scores, we like that. Um, Come to us, but uh, no, the Air Force, he pushed me to the Air Force. Um, That's how I got in the door. Um, As far as uh, being a cyber professional, um, much like how I went into college, I kind of went into the Air Force not really knowing what the right specific job for me was. I just knew I wanted to do something that uh, had some meaning. Um so I kind of just went needs of the Air force um, i was general electric um is the is the broad um, skill set that they said I was qualified for and then during basic training um we had our uh guidance counselor meetings and they were said hey there's this there's a lot of openings in uh the three d o career field that deals with computers and i said i like computers let's 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 do it um, so I took it and you know i mean Went on my way and started my life.
1: How has that fit been, David? Um, since you've been in, does this feel like a natural fit for you? Since
0: you came in? Oh, absolutely. Um, looking back on it, uh, I definitely recognize that I was lucky in a lot of regards. Like, I think I think for me, um, things mm-hmm. kind of went the way they they should have gone. Um, and I at the time, it wasn't like I had this clear path ahead of me. Um, so I, I feel very lucky. Uh, I think. Where I ended up is where I needed to be, Um, and I definitely would not make a single change um, about what career path I chose or any place that I've been or anything that I've done in the Air Force.
1: That's Uh, awesome, man. I'm a big believer in the universe is unfolding just like it should, and uh, that's good, man. If we just don't resist it, we end up figuring out that we're right where we're supposed to be, so awesome story. Tyler, how about you?
2: Um, I grew up in a really small town in eastern Oregon and uh as far as the desire to join the military i had plans to join right out of high school and uh that didn't end up working i got a scholarship for a local community college and i went tried tried that whole thing and did that for about a year and a half and it wasn't wasn't my thing so i ended up going back to the to the military idea and had a mentor that was in the army for a long time and I've discussed it a lot with him, and, and uh, he ended up um, suggesting the Air Force just based on his experience of spending time in the military and, and whatnot. So um, I was about 25 years old when I decided to, to join. And um, before that, I uh, started working in a lumberyard as a junior in high school. And so I did that for about eight and a half to nine years. Um, and once I got married, realized I got to make some changes make a little more money and have a more more stable stable job so that was another another push and I think it all just kind of fell into place as far as just kind of worked out that didn't really require a whole lot of thought or effort so I think it just kind of was one of those meant to be things. How'd you end up in Sober? Well I uh, went and took the ASVAB and uh, got my results and the recruiter basically said you can pick anything you know general or electric and he just gave me a i'm sorry uh mechanical or electrical and uh gave me a list of jobs to put down on my list he said here you take it take a week look these over google them pick out 10 jobs you think you might like and come back in a week and so i picked out 10 and uh radio rf transmission systems was actually on the list it wasn't my number one but it was you know somewhere in the middle there and and uh gave him the list and he kept trying to push me to be a cop. And he was a, secu- he was a security forces guy. So I was like, no, nah, I don't want to, I don't want to be a cop, you know, nothing against cops, but I want to do something a little bit different. And, and uh, he's like, all right, well we'll keep, keep something better. At- Is that what you're saying, Tyler? Yeah. Something better. <laughs> it took about eight months um, before one of those jobs on that list popped up and he called me back and he's like, Hey, we got, got one for you. It's going to be RF transmission systems. I'm like, cool, let's do it. So about Month later, I was going through MEPS. So,
1: I love hearing these stories. So, what's interesting about both of you guys, um, David? How old were you when you came in? You said you did college. So, how old were you when you enlisted? I was 22. So, got 22 and 25, and both of you have a stellar reputation um, at the 7242. And even when we bring in operators who had some previous life experience after high school before they came in it seems to be a trend line too. So it doesn't surprise me. Both of you guys told me that you were older a little bit when you came in, I think there's, there's some substance behind that. So what I'd like to know now, what was your experience like at those first duty stations? I'm guessing um, you at least had one or two duty stations where you came here. So uh, Tyler, we'll start with you
2: this time. What were some of those
1: uh, experiences like before you came to
2: 724? Well, after, after tech school, I went to uh, Robbins Air Force Base in Georgia. And that's my only base I've been at before here. Um, I was there for four years, and I had really good, really good experiences there. Um, I ended up deploying two times out of there. Um, gained a lot of experience on those deployments. Did a lot of uh, TDYs and stuff. And uh, probably the 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 biggest thing I got out of that was I ended up pretty much doing everything I could do in that position. And uh, kind of if you would if you say hit my peak at that point just with what i could do within the in the unit and i was a radio satcom guy so every time i would go near a computer people would kind of get a little uneasy (laughs) it was kind of one of those things they had in the shop where like the radio dudes are on one end computer guys are on the other end like you're not you don't associate with each other
1: (laughs) um yeah. It everybody, was, was a, everybody listening knows that I'm a prior operator. So if I ask a really dumb question, um, just forgive me. But so what was your job at Robbins? Were you working with base comms? Were you assigned to a unit working comms?
2: How did that work out? Uh, we were a detachment there. So we weren't assigned to the actual base. Uh, our, our entire chain of leadership was separate from the base. Uh, we were a, was a combat comm unit. So it was an um, enabling unit, essentially. We didn't provide any base support really at all. All of our in garrison stuff was just uh, training and working on equipment to prepare for deployments. Sounds like a much better job than working for anything to do with base stuff, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah,
1: definitely. Yep. Yeah, definitely. How about you, David?
0: Uh, well, I'm finding out uh, that uh, Tyler has, and I have a lot in common. Uh, we're both handsome. We both joined the military a little late, um, and we were both at Combat Com uh, right out the gate. Um, I, I was there as well um in the 2000 2003 to 2007 time frame um and like like i said earlier with my career field almost being uh, being a perfect choice for me without me really knowing i was making the perfect choice um looking back on a combat com was kind of the same for me as well um now that i have more perspective uh, and kind of know what what certain things are doing and happening in the air force uh, base Comm really would have been a place for me that I definitely, I would have gotten experiences for certain, um, but I think Combat com was uh, was unique in that it, it helped me really be prepared for my next assignment and ultimately um, where I'm at now is 724. Um, it, just because of the, the mission set, um, we did a lot of tactical like Tyler said, we weren't we weren't supporting base comms. Our job was to deploy and set up uh, remote comms in in, in austere environments. Um, so we did a lot of training, uh, we built a lot of pallets, and we did a lot of exercises. Um, but then we also deployed. Um, so I got a lot of good um, deployment time there in my early days, um, which I but I which I think is 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 a great uh, benefit to young airmen getting experience, right? Because you're kind of seeing. You're getting on the front lines a little bit more from a support perspective. You know, I mean, operators um, are always naturally closer. Um, so for support guys, sometimes um, you may or may not get those experiences to be able to see that. You know, Combat Com gave us a little bit of a taste, um, and as I as I progressed from there, um, I, it was very natural for me. From where I went from Combat Com, I then went to uh, the Joint Communications Unit. Um, which I'd say is a step up um, from combat com um, so I feel like man it was just it was just great progression like I, I don't know that I could have planned it any better if if this was my end goal I don't know what else I could have done that would have prepared me any better than the, the units I went to
1: um, yeah what a great background that is and for both of you how do you how do you end up in Combat Com right out of, David, was yours right out of school, like Tyler? Like, how did y'all get chosen for that? Is that decided at your school or how does that work? Luck of the draw? Uh,
0: so, yeah, luck of the draw is some of it. Um, I actually, they just kind of tell you. Um, like, I, I imagine somewhere in a back room there, at that time, I was like, oh man, some NCOs somewhere are just drawing names out of a hat and throwing something on a dartboard and saying, David Smith gets Robbins. Um, I actually, um, tried to switch to something else it's, because I told you earlier, right? I grew up in Stone Mountain, Georgia. Uh, Robbins Air Force Base is an hour and a half from Stone Mountain, Georgia. Um, not exactly uh, what I envisioned um, right out the gate. Um, I actually tried to trade with someone to uh, go to England right out the gate, um, and it just didn't work out. Um, so you're so,
1: saying you didn't want to be or necessarily that close to home. Uh, is that what I'm no, hearing?
0: It wasn't what I envisioned, you know, it's like, man, I joined the Air Force to see other places. Uh, I was, yeah, I was born 20 minutes from Robbins Air Force Base. Uh, not exactly uh, what I thought at the time as, as a dream. Um, yeah, and we um, are talking Macon too. So I grew up in Georgia. My mom used to live
1: in Snellville, David. So we got to talk later you. on because I know everything yeah. about Stone Mountain. But yeah, Macon, is it like the biggest um, pleasure spot for people that grow up in northern
0: Georgia? It is not. No, definitely not. Um, but it worked out I, I think Cause like I said I kind of got some tactical experience as much as a calm guy can uh, right out the gate I think um, and I really think that that paved for way for me to be successful later on. Awesome so moving naturally
1: into and, and David I know the response but I'm looking even prior to your JCU experience how did you guys find out about the seven two four or even the 24th back then uh, if we look beyond uh, 2010-ish time frame but How'd you guys find out about it?
2: Um, I was at at Robbins, and uh, we had uh, one of the recruiters uh, came down. It was uh, Rob. (laughs) And uh, he actually got invited by our squadron commander uh, who worked up here on Bragg, and he knew about 724, and uh, worked not within the 724, but pretty closely with them. And uh, he had connections up there and brought one of the recruiters down, and I just sat sat in the movie theater and listened to rob uh talk about the unit and he showed a video answered a bunch of questions and i got his got his business card and ended up filling out an application and that pretty much that's it <laughs> how long were you at the unit before that brief tyler um i was there let's see about two years i just got back from my first deployment and then um i ended up deploying back to back i had about two months between deployments and uh was did the brief, got the application, and then talked to Rob on the phone a few times. And he said, hold off, wait till I get back from my deployment before I, I submit. And so that's what I ended up doing. And
0: here comes one of those questions. Out,
1: so. Here comes one of those questions It may be a dumb one, but what were your options at the end of your tour down at Robbins? Um, do you stay in combat comms once you're in it, or is there a chance that you're going to go uh, get another assignment? So you kind of want to direct your path. Like, how did that work out?
2: Um, honestly, at that point, I didn't really know what, I wasn't really thinking that far ahead, Be, Being there just two years and it kind of flew by so quick. I wasn't really giving much thought on where I would go after that. Uh, we discussed with the family going overseas and going to an assignment overseas. And this just kind of, kind of fell into my lap a little bit. Um, this, the timing ended up working out, you know, being able to meet with Rob and, and kind of get a little bit of a little bit of a history on on the unit what the unit does and and it was at that point at robbins that i was you know itching for something more you know doing ended up doing a lot of training and getting a lot of experience and i wouldn't say we were held back a little bit in the radio career field but we were definitely not given the the opportunities or flexibility to kind of grow if you if you would um so kind of feel like you just hit your hit your peak and you want to move on to something else and that's kind of the feeling I was getting. Love it. Love it. How about you, David?
0: Yeah, I'll tag on a little bit to what Todd was getting at there at the end. Because I think for, for people that are driven um, to really, for self-improvement, who are after um, doing something worthwhile in life, I, I think you get to a point at a place and, and you can really kind of tell if you're honest with yourself, um, have I reached my peak here? Um, can I can I do any more? Can, can the unit give me any more? Can I give unit anymore um and for me that's how i recall um leading robbins um you, you ask about 724 i would say you know i remember going back to basic um i was definitely familiar um with at least the PJ cct career fields right i remember getting a brief in basic and thinking man that sounds kind of cool um, but but it was also a little scary so i was just like man I, I it wasn't something i was trying to do um but i don't remember having any information on the 724 i, I don't recall even knowing the 724 uh when i was at robbins um so my inject to, to this community um, was definitely from a prior jcu guy who was at robbins who had left jcu and came to robbins um and he kind of started telling me about it and and the way he talked about it, it just seemed like it was like, hey, yeah, maybe that's the place for me to kind of take my skills to the next level. Um, and, and that's where I kind of went. And obviously, once I got to JCU, you know, you're kind of your eyes are opened um, to this whole other world that uh, sometimes is just as far into certain areas of the Air Force. Um, you know, you read things in you know, the PDG and you're like, oh, yeah, there's these guys that are out there doing things. And it's like it—it it just seems like those are strangers in a faraway land, you know. It's like, wow, okay, I'll never know those guys. Um, but then when you get here and you're supporting them directly um, and those types of things, it's like, okay, um, this is cool, you know. Um, this is where I need to be. Um, so yeah, I like when I left Robbins, it was like I need—I need to move, move up, and move out um, for myself. Um, one of the things that I'd like to mention, um, shout out to my, my wife at this point. One thing I hadn't mentioned is the, my wife is in the Air Force as well, same career field. Um, and I we know that. That's cool. Yes. Um, so being in the military, you're already a smaller percentage of the population. I think being dual military, maybe even a little bit smaller, uh, it brings with it some, some benefits, you know, common understanding. Um, but some complications as well. You know, how do you manage each other's careers? Um, so I kind of, I, I kind of drugged her along with me. I was like, "Hey, I'm, I'm, go- I'm, I'm going to JCU. You coming with me?" Um, and she was like, "I'm not sure about it," um, but she came. Um, we dealt with that. But at the end of the day, I, I think um, it was a good place for both of us. Um, and I definitely enjoyed and valued uh, the experiences that I got out of that place. And obviously, once I was there, it was. I became more familiar with these other organizations um, such as 724 you know having some indirect contact with them Um, so that was kind of how I got on this path.
1: Yeah that's awesome and I feel you with the married um, to another military member both of us were inside the compound for five years when I got married too and we were both on the same pager and we both had a you know we had a child and uh, man, what complications that creates when you have to come in very early in the morning, no notice. Uh, yeah,
0: so I feel it,
1: man. Yeah. We um, didn't, we,
0: we go don't ahead, have, Dick. Yeah, we don't have kids, so that was one thing. Uh, that was actually some, some conscious decisions for us at one point, you know. Yeah. Um, it, it, frankly, some of that stuff uh, didn't come naturally, so it was kind of like, do we want kids? Is that something we desire, you know, can we balance that with what we're trying to do with our careers? Um, yeah, that's
1: to- a good point. Let me ask that right now to both of you, because Tyler, I know you have kids, but um, and we're kind of jumping ahead, but that's okay. Uh, we have no um, schema here to how we're doing this. But Tyler, how is it managing the job and the family and the kids um, up here? I know we're busy. I don't think we'd ever try to hide that from anybody, but how is that managing for you and the kids?
2: Uh, it's definitely, uh, definitely stressful at times. Um, thankfully my wife is an awesome mother and, and she's a stay at home mom. So she, she stays with the kids and she's really, really good about uh, making sure, you know, they have what they need when I'm gone and, and taking care of them. And that's, uh, just with her, her help alone, that really eases a little bit of the burden on me. And, um, there's, there's times I feel like she's doing more than she should. <laughs> And uh, but she definitely helps a lot, and, and the ops tempo is you know pretty pretty high uh, doing what, what we're doing here, and um, having that, that support from your spouse definitely definitely makes a big difference. And and not only just support from your spouse, but the just the people you work with um, they're definitely uh, willing to help out any way they can, and and it's kind of like a little having your own little second family, so that definitely helps.
1: Yeah, awesome. David, from your position here um, in a kind of a, that leadership role, how do you see that playing out from above and, and how do you guys manage that um, in general, uh, the busyness of the unit and taking care of the families?
0: It's it's definitely a struggle. Um, and that's one of those things that over time, you know, I, I never really imagined, you know, I'd be where I'm at today as, as someone about to put on senior master sergeant and being in this type of position where, where the day-to-day lives of some people was kind of in my hands to some, ex- some extent. Um, it, it's definitely something that I, I think hard about because um, the mission is, is what we're after, right? right? Mission success. Um, but in an environment like this, um, people are key to that, you know? I mean, I think people are, are very important in the soft because of the tempo, um, because we ask more of them People are critical to the success and, and in order to have mission effectiveness you really got to take care of the people because it, it can be exhausting here like I've been in this command for for 12 years at this point um, you you have to want to do it to stick it out that long um, and and I don't have kids um, the, the worst I got to worry about is is the cat and the dog if the wife and I deploy. Um, so that's that's where my stress level is. So, but I do try to be sympathetic uh, and and take those things into account and, and know that people that are underneath me um, have different issues um, and I got to think about those things. So we do our best to balance it. Um, do my best to you know push back on things we need to push back on um, and. In weigh everything we're doing because we're always doing more than we have the capacity to do. And that's why you got to make sure that what we're doing is worthy um, and it's getting after some um, strategic objective. And I try to push boundaries and, and, and say no or, or say, hey, I, I, can't, I can't do that without having this massive cost over here. You know, if, if I do that, uh, um, Tyler and his family may may reach a breaking point. Or someone else that has family has these other considerations, so we have to weigh those things as leaders and, and figure out what's what's more important at the time, and figure out places that we can can give back um, or give give areas a break. You know, um,
1: yeah, I like asking these questions too because the folks out there that are listening that uh, may be thinking about this as their next uh, choice of assignment, I just like them to hear guys like you. Um, Talking about how you're thinking from a higher level, Uh, because to me, that would put me at ease a little bit to know that people are balancing my family's needs before I come there. Or if I do come there, they're going to balance those needs and they're going to take them seriously, because I think that's what's really special about our place. And we'll talk about the hiring process here in a minute. But we get to hire people that fit our model. And as you can hear these two guys right here, um, highly selective process that they go through to get here. And then you can hear why they were chosen because, um, just the way they're speaking right now to me, this would really, and I'm speaking from an ex operator point of view, but just hearing these conversations right here, uh, this feels like home. Uh, just listening to you talk, listen to both of you talk right now to me, this would feel like home to me. So I really love what y'all are saying here. I want to dig into y'all's assessment and selection experience a little bit. Um, so, Tyler, we'll go back to you starting this time, but if you had to describe the experience of those thinking about applying, how would you explain that to them?
2: Um, well, my my assessment experience was the well, – we'll start the application process. That that was pretty straightforward. Um, it was very lengthy, but um, I think that, you know, they get a lot of good information off that application, and uh, that, that application definitely took me time to fill out. It wasn't something that I just sat down and whipped out in five minutes. It took a few days to, you know, think about the questions and, and answer it honestly. And, um, I think that's the, one of the big, big things about whether you're doing the application or actually here for assessment is, uh, just being honest. And, um, it's definitely, um, kind of a shock, a little bit stressful. Cause you know, I did, had no, no idea of what it was going to be like, you know, showing up here for a week long assessment. I thought it would be, you know, just PT test and, how you know can you do that can you work on this radio can you do this can you do that type of thing and then on your way but um they definitely dig in uh pretty deep and and uh you know they they really want to get to know who you are and uh how well you work with with other people and and uh of course how, how how well you do your job as well but um i think one of the big the big things that um they're looking for too is how how trainable can you be and Um, can we teach you to do things, you know, that might not be exactly aligned with your job description or your AFSC. And, um, so it was a big, it was a kind of an eye opener for me. Um, definitely didn't expect what the assessment was going to be like. And, um, but it was definitely, definitely good. And I learned a lot about, uh, even myself uh, going through the the assessment process.
1: Yeah. Awesome. David, how about you? I know you'd already been through the JCU process. So how was it um, coming over to ours?
0: yeah definitely a little bit different right because I'd already gone through a selectively manned organization um, I would say to some extent though in some cases that might make it even more stressful you know um, because to some extent it's it's easy to kind of fall into the trap that um uh, I'm in this community already i've I've proven myself a success um, but really f- for the people um that are driven, like I talked about earlier, like um, you're like, man, if I really, this is where I really want to go. I know everything about it. This is really where I want to go. Um, so if you're turned down, it's almost, uh, I feel like maybe even a little bit more emotional. You know, it's now what? You know, now I got to take a step down or something. I got to reevaluate myself. Um, and because I knew people over here as well, that kind of makes it uh, more personal. Um, so not only if I was turned down, not only would it be an organization was turning me down, but, but people that I had worked with in the past might've had something to do with turning me down. Um, so
1: that's a a great point. I guess you're sitting across from people that, you know, during the assessment, correct or no?
0: Yes, I, I definitely was because, uh, uh, 724 has, uh, has had a lot of prior JCU members uh, in the past, and and I knew uh, several of those people. Um, I had worked with them. I had deployed with them in the past in JCU. So yes, I definitely knew the people. Um, so when you when you have that uh, personal contact with people that are assessing you, uh, sometimes if you get negative feedback, it can it can hit you even harder. Um, Luckily, you know, that's not the way it went for me. Um, I did get accepted, um, but, I, but I think looking back on it, that it definitely um, would have hurt pretty hard if I had not been. Because um, I, I won by the clock to when I was in JCU, and I try to compare, hey, how did, how did I feel when I applied to JCU versus how did I feel when I applied to 724? You know, When I applied to JCU, um, this place was still foreign to me, and it was almost like on another level. Um, so it was like, Hey, I don't know that I, I have it. I don't, I don't know that I'm cut out for it. Um, so if they don't accept me, it's like, well, they know cause, cause they're top notch, you know, they're DOD's finest communicators. If they don't see that in me, then I got to go work harder and I got to improve myself. Um, but once you're in, it's like, well, I'm, I kind of know I'm cut out for some part of it. So if anybody turns me down, then wow, what, what did I do wrong?
1: Tyler, how about you how about what's a piece of advice you would give out there to folks who are prepping or thinking about coming up to the ANS process
2: I would say just have an open mind um, come here you know don't don't look into it too much you know you know don't don't try to find out you know what what it's going to be like and and cheat the system so to speak but just come open minded and just be willing to answer tough questions, be willing to open up about yourself and, and, you know, just be a hundred percent, hundred percent honest. Yeah. I say it
1: all the time when we're doing these operator um, podcasts as well, but if you come up here and try to play a game or, or be somebody you're not, we're going to see through that in about 10 seconds and your chance of getting hired is about zero.
0: Um,
1: so just like you said, and I'm so glad you brought it up of how they're looking for an example of conflict and they already knew that you had conflict with somebody. So now it's, they're going to know if you're playing a game or being reserved. So it's just come up here, be open, be honest, and let the process work as it's intended because it will work. And that doesn't mean you're going to get hired, but you will leave here a better human being because we're going to give you feedback before you leave too. Awesome. David, how about you?
0: Yeah, that made me think about one thing I'd like to mention. Like if if I was giving anybody out there one piece of advice about coming into this community, like there's a big difference between – A lot of people in this community are confident. Um, But there's a big difference between confident and cocky. Um, Having humility uh, is key because we get some people in um, uh, that are coming. And typically, we're hoping to get the best that other organizations have. Um, But sometimes people have that chip on their shoulder like I am the best at where I'm at. But um, you may or may not be uh, the best at this place. Um so come in with humility um and and just your your actions will speak like you don't need to brag, you don't need to boast. Um just show off your best side and, and be um and just don't be cocky. Thanks for saying that. And I think most people
1: find out and I'm speaking especially on the operator side too They may have been their top dog at their unit, but you get here and you realize that you're just fighting to tread, just keep your head above water most days here because you were surrounded by hand-selected people who are obviously the best or we wouldn't have hired them. So, A, it's an amazing place to grow, but B, you have to be able to work or willing to work to keep that growth happening. Uh, we 're going to shift a little bit now we 're going to move away from ANS. but David can you and I know i 'm coming off the cuff with this, so do the best you can with it, but can you briefly explain the general task org of the three ds across seven two four just to give the audience a a scope of um, what you guys are doing
0: yeah uh, I'll do my best it's It's kind of a complicated conversation um, we've actually gone through some change um, so at the group level, you know we've got uh 50, we've got 57 Three Deltas um, across a 750, 750-ish man group, right? Um, so they're not all contained in one area, which complicates things a little bit. Um, they're doing very different things in some cases. Um, so it, it's, it's a lot to manage from a leadership perspective. Um, but for 3Ds, we have everything from kind of what Tyler got at Talked about that he does um, radio operations hey I'm going to throw on a ruck and I got um kind of walk the team through uh, calling in airstrikes and all that kind of stuff um, to high-end networking and systems support you know I got to provide uh, portal services uh, for a commander or something um, so there's a broad spectrum of things uh, we're doing so you could come here as a 3d and depending on what your aptitude is and and where our vacancies are um you could be assigned directly to operational teams um doing some real direct support stuff on the ground um or you could be sitting in a data center environment um and there's there's everything in between um and and some of what we're doing doesn't even follow a traditional air force mindset on what uh, three deltas should be doing Um, a lot that we're doing in in the tech realm um, development and, like, um, using uh, the battle spaces that we're, we're getting in, even as a country these days, are, are more unique than they have been for the past 15, 20 years, right? Um, the enemies that we're facing are harder to face. Um, that means communications and tech is, is becoming more and more important, but it's also more and more complicated. Um, and 3Ds are really kind of having to solve some of those tough problems. How can I take... Um, things that I get off the, the shelf um, and and modify those to, to work for an operational team in these varied environments. Um, so there's there's a lot we're doing, um, and there's definitely areas that, that give Three Deltas an opportunity um, to have a wide range uh, of, of roles and responsibilities. Tyler hit on it a little bit earlier when he was talking about his days back in 5th Combat Com, where he was a radio guy, and they didn't want a radio guy touching computers. Um, and, and, and that was my experience in the air force as well. And, you know, I've been here a long time and I've probably kind of lost sight of that. But as I talk to other young airmen and NCOs that come in, it seems like they're still very compartmentalized. Um, here's your job. Don't go outside that boundary. And that's one of the things that we try to, to quickly break, um, guys, because in the 3d perspective, that's where it stops. Um, AFSCs, there's, there's multiple AFSCs under the 3D umbrella, and they all kind of have specific roles. Um, for, for us here in the 724, we only care about the 3D portion. Um, we may need you to operate a radio one day, uh, and the next day do some backside server stuff. And for some people, that's exciting um, because, hey, my, I have no constraints. Um, I can learn a lot. It goes back to the people with drives that are really looking to be better and, and improve their skill set. Um, there's really there's less boundaries here Um, if you've got the desire and we have the need um, you can do it I don't care if you're a client systems guy or a cybersecurity guy or a systems operator like um, come in and and we'll put you where your skill set says it's best Um, a lot to be had um, and lot of opportunities in my experience to do things that the Air Force is is doing less and less of
1: yeah David explain can you explain how the guys how guys and girls get onboarded coming in as a new 3D member to the group and then I want to get some of Tyler's experience of when he came um, and went through that process
0: yeah so I mentioned that things have kind of changed over the over the years we've we've definitely tried to uh, standardize that process a little bit better to give um, to make it a little bit more of a routine, repeatable task, um, you go through the A&S process, and, and if you're selected, um, based on your timeline coming here, we now have we now have an, a, cor- a course is established that, that all communicators go to when they first get here. I, I, I talked a little bit about how we do a bunch of things, right? Um, special tactics is different than what base comm squadron needs, and the Air Force is not necessarily training the skill sets we need. So we've realized that we kind of need to give everybody a common baseline for technical skills, also uh, tactical skills. Um, So we've developed this course called Special Tactics Communicators course um, that we've really only kind of gotten off the ground in the last year. We're gaining some traction with it, um, but for the vast majority of people coming in, that's going to be the first step for a communicator. Um, and it and it does teach you um, a lot of the basic skill sets that you need to kind of be um, to be f- to fill most of the positions um, across the group. Um, but there are a lot of positions that that require a lot more skill sets. Um, so one of the things for me that that besides the technical skills is is the cultural piece. Um, so th- if I had to say what was more important from a stick standpoint for me it would be like. It's the mindset and the culture that we we ingrain in in 3Ds as they come in, because this world is different. Um, And sometimes you can be the smartest guy in the room, uh, but depending on your personality and and how you get along with small teams, you may find that you have a hard time here. Um, So we send them through this course to not only kind of give them a crash course on on, on what 724 does, um, what some of the basic skill sets are, um, from a technical tactical perspective, but we also kind of try to give them a mindset that's going to make them successful here, um, because there are high expectations, um, and we we expect, and our operational teams expect a lot out of our support guys. So we try to get them off on a good start and give them all the tools they they need to uh, to be successful.
1: What time frame are we talking about? So when they get here, David, um, and I know they in process get their families settled. Uh, how long is stick, and uh, how, how long after they get here? So I guess you're probably having to wait till enough folks come in to run the course. How does that work?
0: Um, the course is three months. Um, ideally, we're, we're PCSing someone in 45 to 60 days prior to stick course um, to give them enough time to kind of settle in, get, get their families if they've got it, household, uh, in process, all that kind of stuff, and then, and then go straight into stick. That's the ideal scenario. Um, so at the end of that process, we go through what we call a slating process, and um, we base it off, you know, uh, operational unit needs are always number one, um, but I do believe strongly that um, a happy worker is is a better worker, um, and if you can put someone where they want to be, um, then you're probably going to get more out of that person. So we do to try to take that into account. Um, if we can't right out the gate, you know, we, we try to we try to put them on a path or at least that's what we're trying to do more and more now these days and say, I need you to do this for me. But if you do these things, um, eventually you can move on and do these these other things. So somewhere between uh, six and eight months usually is, is where um, typically someone might get assigned to uh, the work center and kind of whichever work center it may be um, and kind of really start doing uh, their, their day-to-day job. But Training is never ending. Uh, yeah. it's always- Tyler,
1: from your from your level, Tyler. You didn't? Did you go through stick when you got here?
2: <laughs> I did. Yeah, I went through the the first
1: stick class that we had. Mm-hmm. What was that experience like? And what are like the people that are out here listening to David describe that? Um, put them at ease a little bit. Like some of them will probably excited. Some are, some of them will probably be like, "Ooh, that sounds pretty intimidating." Uh, what was your experience like? And how would you relate that back out to the people?
2: Uh, my experience was good. Um, it's it's a very structured um, course. Uh, it's um, There's a lot of – there's different training blocks throughout the course, and it moves pretty quickly, at least the class that I went through. Um, it's a very kind of fast and furious um, course, and uh, there's a lot of physical aspects of that course too. There's a very well-structured uh, PT portion, um, and I think that that portion was very – very effective to have in the class um, kind of helps you It induces a little bit of stress and then it helps to you kind know, of the way you work through um, that stress in a technical aspect. Uh, if that makes any sense, you just kind of um, kind of get your heart rate going uh, and then you're and you go and you have to think critically and, and fix and solve problems as they're presented. And you now the course when I went through the course it was two months long, And it went went pretty quick. Um, You learn you learn a lot in that class. I was a radio troop coming here. And um, so that radio block for me was even even then I learned quite a bit um, about radios that I didn't know at my my previous unit. And then they hit the whole networking portion and and on and on. And and, uh, even though it was a, a pretty short course, there was a lot of information that was taught and a lot of information learned. Um, and it is, it is a baseline course. It's not going to teach you everything you need to know, um, to be successful, but it, it gives you the the tools and a good baseline to start at, uh, to continue that, that growth. And, and, and like Dave said, it, it puts you in a mindset uh, during that course. And, um, I did really appreciate that, that part of it, um, kind of makes you think a little bit differently than, than you did before. And, and once you learn how you, your actions here directly impact uh, missions that definitely definitely helps 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 with that mindset i you love know, this
1: whole concept go ahead david
0: yeah i want to attack I, I appreciate you going down that direction because uh i i do think about that sometimes are we scaring people off by some of the things we say um because i recognize you know it can be very easy um even if a long air force career just, just kind of let the air force take you where the air force wants to take you you just get orders and you move out. Um, it takes, it takes a deliberate decision by people to come to a place like this. So that, so that can be apprehensive, um, for even the most confident people. Um, so yeah, you got to take an active decision and and that could be scary. Um, I, I would definitely tell people that I wouldn't, I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, I wouldn't do it any different. Like, uh, it's, the experiences I've gotten here have been immense um, and very very rewarding um, and to re and to kind of re-hit on it like yep there are there are some tactical things we go through and stick um, but it's really just to give everybody kind of some of that basic understanding every person that comes here um, every 3d that gets hired here it, it is not jumping out of airplanes and is not rucking um, there's people out there that want that. Um, and I think typically we don't necessarily have a problem getting those three deltas um, because they don't get to do that in a lot of places. So if they hear there's tactical things and they want to be more like that, um, then it's easy to get those kind of guys. Um, they are, they're naturally going to be drawn here and not be scared away from that. Um, but, man, we need the nerds as well. Um, so I, I don't want to scare the nerds away out there. Um, we We are doing a lot of stuff. Um, on the network side and the system side and the tech side uh, that are super nerdy um, and that require people that just want to tinker with things and, and, and figure out new n- new ways to use old tech and all that kind of stuff. Um, we need that just as much as we need those guys that, that want to go around and, and with the team and throw on a ruck. Um, so please, please, uh, if – if, if anything about what we say interests you, or if you feel apprehensive, like what I w- another thing I would absolutely say is, is is reach out. Like we want to bring good people here, um, and we're always willing to talk about what we do and, and kind of express some of our experiences and, and get more in detail about all the things we're doing. Um, I think there's a lot of rewarding opportunities here, and it, there's a lot of different things you can experience. Um, don't let the the tactical scare you. Uh,
1: yeah, I just want to put out to the audience, too, if you, um, if you want some more information, all you have to do is go to our website, contact our support side recruiters, and they will get you in touch with David or whoever else um, can just uh, give you a phone call or whatever and answer some questions if you have them. I love it. Um, let's move into um, your day-to-day life here um, operationally now. And I'm with Tyler out at Det One. Det One is our um, detachment that runs all of the training for the group. I get to watch him. And now Tim, it was Andrew. Um, I'll tell you from a, from a retired operator perspective and from a guy who runs a selection process now for the operator side, what I see these guys doing on a daily basis and it goes back to what David's been saying. Um, they are not siloed into, I'm only a radio guy. These dudes solve problems, whatever you throw at them. Um, And usually they're overwhelmed every day and they still get the problem solved for you. So I have mad respect for these guys. And I have ever since I got to the organization in 97, they have been some of the best support folks that I've ever worked with at that unit. So Tyler, just help the audience understand what your daily battle rhythm kind of is and maybe describe a little bit of the last OTC because it was kind of a unicorn of how fast it was and you were kind of the only guy there at time. So how did that work out?
2: Um, well, uh, I'll start with uh, in garrison. So in, even in between OTC classes, um, we provide, you know, the in garrison support for not just the students, but uh, the cadre and and the people in at the dept that, that work day to day. And um, in garrison is definitely a lot of help desk uh, support. Um, as we all know, the whole world revolves around email and internet and SharePoint and stuff like that that and um every day is is just something new something something another problem uh finding a solution to an issue and um you don't always have uh, a phone home button to push you know if that makes sense to to reach out for help and and if you do have that button to push everyone else is just as (coughs) busy excuse me just as busy as you are so um you gotta you gotta find solutions to fix fix problems and sometimes it's you know on the spot and um i mean we day to day it's it's computers printers um user accounts you know people can't log in or they can't print they can't get their email Um, sometimes it's a tough fix and other times it's a super simple you know simple fix and um, going into the the otc course um that that's a whole flip-flop uh from what i do in garrison um, during OTC, uh, I provide uh, RTO support on the trips, and uh, so basically, all the operators go out with a loadout, and that loadout is going to consist of radios, uh, phone uh, that runs uh, specific software we use, uh, tablets, um, and other other equipment that they take out. And uh, my job is to make sure that they have all the right frequencies they need, the right comsec that they need, uh, imagery. Uh, any type of data that they need for that, that mission that they're going on or that, that training event that they're doing. And, and uh, part of that includes um, going out with them uh, on target during training and, and providing that, that direct level support on target in case something goes wrong. Um, And it it does, it's we work with electronics, so (laughs) there's always something that breaks. There's always something that doesn't, doesn't work a hundred percent. Right. And, and being there to kind of, help them through that issue. You know, they have, they have certain, uh, tasks that they have to complete during OTC. And if they're worried about their radio, then they're not, they're not focusing on what they need to, to accomplish. And so being there to kind of take care of that portion of it is, is definitely, um, definitely something that, that, uh, that it happens each trip. And so uh, it's, it's a really rewarding, rewarding job though. It's, It's very high pace. Um, OTCs seven eight months long and it's constant trips back to back trips um, whether you're going with the PJs or you're going with the controllers and and peas and um, but uh, it's it's definitely definitely rewarding and you learn a lot I've learned a lot just going through um, I worked a little bit with uh, the OTC class before this one and then I went through this entire this entire class working with the guys and um, every single trip there's something new that we're learning and and uh, something that we might want to test out, some new capability and, and work with the guys on that. And it's, it's definitely nice to, to be able to do that and, and gain that experience. Man,
1: that was a great explanation. Thanks for
0: that. David, how about from your level? Uh, yeah, well, a little bit different experience at my level than Tyler's. Um, I'm definitely not uh, solving um, some of those tactical problems anymore. It's more strategically focused. It's facilitation. You know, how, how can I help um, the Tylers and the people like Tyler get the resources uh, that they need and also the time that they need, you know? Um, by, by pushing back on taskings and priorities, um, trying to lay out uh, overall visions of where we're trying to go, um, which even that stuff, you know, you get to a point in your career and it's like you kind of realize that I'm not that ta- technical guy anymore, but um, I've really kind of enjoyed the transition. Um, it, it's just as rewarding in some ways to be involved in, in laying out, um, you know, where the organization is going to go long-term from a communications standpoint. Um, I've definitely uh, found a lot of uh, value in that and, and enjoyed it. Um, but, you know, meetings – meetings uh, manpower documents cprs all those kind of things got out in the air force we, we still have here um but even at my level you know the scope of responsibility at the junior nco level is broad it's even uh, it's just as broad at, at my level um so where where in the air force you may have um o5s o6s making some of these types of strategic things decisions um We've got senior NCOs and and captains kind of making some of these, hey, um, we're going to go down this path where we establish a a $10 million network that's going to provide capabilities to our organization for for the five- to ten-year range. That's some of the stuff we're going through right now. Um, And for anybody who's kind of got some big-picture vision, um, you can kind of look at that and say, that's exciting. You know, it's a little bit scary, but it's also something that really set – be a major impact and it will can affect the unit um, for long term um, so I, I I enjoy what I do for certain um, it, it's a battle some days as it is probably a lot of places um, but it, but as long as you still enjoy what you're doing um, and you're passionate about it um, you'll you'll find ways to succeed and, and it'll be good. Um,
1: Yeah, I love it. I got to the organization as a senior airman in 97, and I left 11 years later as a senior master sergeant, so I kind of grew up there. I was the lowest-ranking guy on my team when I got there, and then I left as the op soup. So, all right, guys, Tyler, I'm starting with you on this one. This is our last question. So imagine you're on stage, and you're getting to talk to every 3D in the Air Force. Um, Why would you tell them that they should make the 724 a future goal in their
2: career? I would say – you're that type of person who's motivated and and has that drive to to make things happen and, and constantly make improvements um this is a this is a place where you'll you'll see that direct correlation between um your work and the results that happen whether that's here in garrison or or downrange
1: love it davis Our david round us off here
0: yeah so you're not sustaining when you're here, you're, you're innovating, you know, three D's are not coming in and and just maintaining status quo. They have the opportunity to come in and really develop things, uh, and innovate. Um, and, and not to be cliche, but I mean, and yeah, I mean, in some cases you're, you're standing on the shoulders of giants, you know, I mean, um, the people that, that we support, the missions that we support are, are historic in a lot of cases. Um, and, and we're at the forefront of that, you know, even as support guys, like we, we can directly tie the things we are doing, um, to, to the success of historical missions. Um, if that doesn't get you fired up, uh, then yeah, maybe this place is not for you. Um, but if, if any part of that is like, wow, that sounds exciting. Like there is something for you to do here.
1: Love it, man. I love y'all's answers. Guys, this has been for me, from the guy sitting on the other end of the computer, this has been awesome. This has been one of my favorite podcasts so far. So I appreciate you guys coming out, man. All right, folks, that's it for this week. Really enjoyed having David and Tyler on. Uh just explaining life as a three D inside the organization. And we also hit a lot about the culture here too, so no matter if you're a 3D or you're in some other combat mission support AFSC or either if you're an operator or a civilian looking at maybe making the 724 a future job or assignment for you, hopefully this week has solidified a little, bit, a little bit of that in your head that this place is doing some special things and we need you to come up and help us solve some of the hardest problems the nation has. So with that said, we appreciate all of you tuning in to the Insight Through Experience podcast and we'll see you next time.